meeting a lot of you after the service. Before I get into the message this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 4. If you want to go ahead and be turning there, James chapter 4, into the, toward the back of the New Testament. James chapter 4, Friday night we had our, our uh, kind of end of the school year piano recital. And boy, our young people did so good. Brother Ben and I were talking about just the, the depth of our music culture here in our church. Our young people did such a great job. Uh, Miss Evelyn, Miss Anna Brooke uh, doing a wonderful job helping our kids learn how to play the piano. And boy, this year they have just stepped it up a notch and uh, did a great job. And Brother Ben and I were talking after the service about how, man, that is rocking this morning. Did somebody plant a bomb under that? Uh, all right, I've always thought it might be a martyr. Me and Brother Dombeck going to go like that together. Uh, but anyway, our young people are, are being taught how they can uh, use that piano skills for the Lord and honor and glorify the Lord with that. And I thought, you know what, it was good to have a crowd there on Friday night. Uh, but I'd like to just get all of our kids who played in the recital Friday night, uh, and Miss Anna Brooke and Miss Evelyn, if you would, can I get you guys to stand here this morning? And uh, let's have all of our young people who played. Come on, don't be afraid. we got some, all of our kids are up in Children's Church. Miley, quit being a chicken, all right? Anybody other young people? Our kiddos were upstairs. We had a whole squad of them. Uh, got one here on the front row, glad to have him. Let's give our young people and our teachers a hand for all of their hard work. You guys can be seated. Thank you. I think we ought to have encouraged them, amen, as they use their talents for the Lord. And we just have such a depth of that here at our church. We probably have, I don't know, what another dozen and a half, two dozen upstairs in the uh, children's church that played for us. And uh, kids are doing a great job. Encourage them in that. James chapter 4, if you're there, go ahead and stand together with us this morning. James chapter number 4. I told Miss Katie a while ago, I said, let's get this preaching thing done where we can get to the food trucks, right? Uh, amen. Not very spiritual for the pastor, but don't want to keep you any longer than we need to. And I'm going to share with you a very simple message the Lord's given us today. I hope will encourage you and challenge you just a little bit. James chapter 4. And I want you to look down, um, look down if you will. Let's see. Go to verse number 14. Or go to verse 13. We'll start there. The Bible says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell, and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Now, our text today is going to be one verse, verse 17. And we'll kind of build up to this here in a moment. The Bible says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good... And doeth it not, to him it is sin. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We're going to pull the whole message out of that verse right there. There's three things I want to show you this morning. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with this. Father, thank you for your word in such a simple verse today that we've read. But what a profound truth that, Lord, is not only going to impact today and tomorrow, the rest of our earthly life, but the truth that we're going to look at today is it's going to affect our eternity. And Lord, I pray, Lord, today that everyone that's here, all those tuning in, that, Lord, you'll help us to realize the importance of the subject we're going to preach on today. For the lost, I pray, Lord, if there's someone here today who is not sure that they're going to heaven when they die or when you come back, that they're going with you. Lord, I pray you'd make that clear to them today. And then for the saved, Lord, how we need to be challenged. Lord, this is not a time to be lackadaisical about your will for our life. Help us do the things we know we need to do today in the service and bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I particularly love the book of James. 
why? Well, the book of James is a very practical book. Uh, I like things that are practical and they're simple, don't you? Now, some of you folks are probably a lot deeper than I am in your intellect and your understanding. And maybe you like to get into things where uh, you have to really begin to figure them out and research them out. And there's nothing about wrong with that at all. Uh, but I like things that are simple. I like things that are spelled out for me. I like it when God just puts it out there so that we can understand that. And that's what the book of James does. The book of James takes the foundation of our faith. We got saved. The Bible says we've been given a solid foundation. Aren't you glad? Nothing can wash that away. We're saved. We're secure. We're on the solid rock built upon the Lord Jesus Christ, which I'm thankful for today. But the book of James takes our salvation on from there. You know, salvation is not the only interaction God wants to have with you in life. Isn't that great? Right? God wants you to be saved. He sent his only begotten son to die to pay your sin debt in mind that we could be saved. And then after that, he wants to have a continuing relationship with us. He wants us to take the foundation that we have and to build upon that. And James shows us how to do that. Virtually, here's what the book of James does. The book of James helps us take our faith and put it into action. As my Sunday school class this morning, we were talking about being an influence. Light is an influence. All right, And so we know we are the light of the world. So we know that, and that's who we are in Christ and through Christ. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. That light that God says we are, he wants us to know how to use that light, how to take our influence and put it into action. You read through the book of James. By the way, you ought to do that this afternoon. No 5 o'clock service. You're going to have all afternoon off until yourself. Go home and read the book of James. It's very practical. You'll find things along the subject of wisdom. I don't know about you, but I need wisdom. It shows you in the book of James how you can add wisdom to that foundation of the faith that you have. You get in the book of James, you'll find that it refers oftentimes to trials. It helps us understand how trials are not always disposable. Trials can be used in our growth in the will of God for our life. On and on, it talks about wealth, what we should do with our wealth, how to handle our wealth, how we should think about our wealth, materialism. It even talks about the brevity of life. We just looked at that. Verse 13 and 14, our life is a vapor. The book of James is very practical. But here's what I want you to see this morning. Uh, I love how at the end of chapter 4, after giving them, all of this practical stuff, all right? Here's who you should be. Here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. At the very end of chapter 4, he gives us verse 17 and says, therefore. That means with that being said, with all of the preceding verses, particularly chapter 4, with all that I have given you, with all of that being said, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Stick with me. Stick with me. So James says, I gave you chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. I'm giving you all of these things along practical Christian living. Things we all need to know in order to please God in our walk with him and our life. And then he says this in verse 17. Oh, by the way, you're going to be accountable for that. You're going to be accountable to that. All right? Now look, the word of God is not a grocery store. Uh, I'm thankful for grocery stores, aren't you? I love going and walking around a grocery store and finding all kinds of things that maybe I didn't know they had. And come home with so many things my wife didn't know that we needed. She knows not to send me to the store. Last night we ran out of Diet Dr. Pepper. She says, honey, would, would you mind going and getting me some Diet Dr. Pepper? I said, absolutely, sweetheart. Be glad to do that. Jumped in her little Volkswagen, headed down the road and get there. And I find that, you remember back in the 80s there was this gummy candy called Gushers. Any 80s kids remember that one? Yeah? Inside of it had that juice. You bite into it, 
and had all that juice. I saw gushers. I haven't seen those since I was a kid. And I thought, you know what, I don't know that Miley's ever experienced a gusher. And so I had to get her some gushers while I was there. And then I found they had A&W. I like A&W root beer. There's so much sugar in it. They had A&W zero sugar. And I thought, well, that's new. You know what? I don't know that my wife knows they have this. I better get some so that she'll get to experience the wonders of, of A&W root beer. And before you knew it, I had racked up about $20 worth of stuff that she didn't even know we need. I love grocery stores. Walking up and down the aisles, finding things we want. Now, I did leave some things there. I left the celery for Brother Richard. He can have every bit of that he wants. I didn't bring none of that home with me. There's a lot of things I left on the shelf, but I just picked and choose what I want. But I want you to know the Word of God is not a grocery store. We don't walk the aisles of this book and say, you know what, I think I'd like some of that. I think I'd like to try that. Oh, no, no, no. James says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him but is sin. That means we are going to be held accountable for all that God has given us in his word. And here's what I'm afraid of this morning. I'm afraid we read this book and we read it as if these are suggestions from God rather than expectations of God. These are not suggestions. These are expectations. Why? He says, therefore to him that knoweth to do good, knoweth it not to him, it is sin. Now, folks, no matter how many good excuses we come up with, and by the way, isn't society marvelous at coming up with excuses of why we are not accountable? <clears throat> we are living in a country that can excuse away just about anything. I heard someone on television the other day excusing away one of those mass shootings, not blaming the shooter, but blaming the gun. We have learned in our country how to get around being accountable for our own actions. And I'm afraid, by the way, that that's entered the church a little bit. That we think that we're not accountable to the things that we don't agree with and we don't like. But whether we agree with it or like it or not, the Bible says, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I'm not taking it out of context. That's exactly what it says. There were nine GIs who uh, got a pass to leave base and go off to have some free time. They decided while they were out, they were going to go eat at one of their favorite restaurants. While they were there, someone told them about the fish that were biting in the local river. And so they went and got fishing poles, and they went out and started fishing together. They were catching so many fish, they didn't realize what time it was. Didn't make it back to the restaurant before the bus headed back to the base left. So one guy decided, I'm just going to get a cab and go back on my own. And so he did. Got a cab, started heading back. The cab broke down. And so he went to a farmer, borrowed a horse from the farmer, rode as fast as he could back to the base. But the horse died along the way, so he left the horse in the road and ran all the way back on foot. He met his commanding officer. He says, where have you been? He says, well, I lost track of time. And then I had to get a cab, and the cab broke down. And then I had to get a horse, and the horse died, so I had to run the rest of the way. He thought, well, that is the first time I've ever heard that one. A few minutes later, here come one of the second of the nine, running all the way back to the commanding officer. You're never going to believe this. He says, let me guess. And he filled in the blanks. One after another, here all they came. The, t the cab broke down. The, the, then I had to go borrow a horse. And I borrowed a horse and rode as fast as I could. And the horse died. And one after another, all had the same story. And the commanding officer thinking to himself, boy, they got together and really put together a masterful story of how they get out of the trouble they were in. Finally, the ninth comes running up, and he is just out of breath. And he says, you're never going to believe what happened. He says, wait a minute, let me guess. You were out fishing, missed the bus, got a cab, cab broke down, borrowed a horse, the horse died, and then you had to run on foot. He says, no. He goes, oh, really? What happened to you? He says, well, I went fishing, lost track of time, came back, the bus was gone, rented a cab. He says, but the cab got stuck in the middle of the road. He says, why did the cab get stuck? He says, there were eight dead horses in the middle of the road. The commanding officer says, I, just go. Just go. We are very good 
at not holding ourselves accountable, aren't we? I'm very good at not wanting to hold myself accountable to blame different people for my problems. You look at our society. Our society does not want to be held accountable for anything. By the way, do you know that's why we're having arguments on gender? Don't tell me there are only men and man and woman. Don't tell me that. Do you know why people don't want to know that? Because now we're accountable to it. You see, if there's only two genders, you're accountable to fit. And one of those and the one that's the one that God made you. That's why we argue that. By the way, why do we want to get rid of Bibles everywhere? What was it, Arizona senator or, or, or house representative in Arizona was caught on video. Go online, look it up. She's going through the, the lounge there for the representatives and taking all of the Bibles out of the lounge. Do you know why they're doing that? Why do people want to get rid of this book? Why do they hate it? Because this book holds us accountable. All right? That's why we got to get rid of it. Why can there not be a God that created the heaven and the earth? Why not? I mean, we're searching for aliens. We believe in Bigfoot. Why can't there be a God? Can I tell you why? Because if there's a God, there's accountability to a divine authority. That, look, we don't like accountability. By the way, you think about this. Accountability to God is something you're going to accept now or later. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, the Bible says that every one of us will give an account unto God, of himself to God. So what are we getting at this morning? I, I want to get into this. I want to encourage you a little bit today. I don't want to beat you down. It's in our best interest, when we look at verse 17, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's in our best interest to go ahead and accept our accountability. If the Bible says in Romans that I am going to give an account to God, chapter 14, verse 12, of myself, it's better that I go ahead and accept that now while I have time to prepare for my accountability than for me to wait until I stand before God when there's no chance of adjusting my accountability. This morning, I want to help us a little bit today as a church. If you're visiting with us today, I want to help you a little bit. The Bible says that every man, all of us are going to give an account to God. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue will confess. We are all going to be held accountable to God. It's best we learn how to accept that now rather than realize it later. So this morning, here's the thought I want to help us with today. I want to show you three steps, if we could, on how to accept our accountability or accepting our accountability. Now, believe it or not, all three points are right there in verse 17, okay? Do not spend the whole message trying to figure them out. Just pay attention and listen. I'll show them to you. I'm just glad to do that for you, okay? Save you the work. It took me a lot of work to do it, so I'm going to give it to you for free. Verse 17, watch what the Bible says. Therefore to him that knoweth. Stop right there. Therefore to him that knoweth. Now, can I tell you what verse 17 wants us to do? God wants us to understand how accountability works. Why? Because you're going to be accountable. And if you're going to be held accountable, you need to know how it works. I'll give you an example. We were headed to Florida the other day and we saw this toll booth. I have a picture of the sign, I believe. I'll show it to you. And there was a sign that says, we bill you with toll by plate. I thought to myself, I said, well, how does that work? We got to the toll booth. It says, keep moving, don't stop. I just went on right through. I thought, wow, that was nice. Didn't have to dig around the car for quarters to get through a toll booth. Just Friday, I got this little thing in the mail from FDOT, Florida Department of Transportation. They had the most beautiful picture of the backside of my car in that letter. And in that letter, it said, you owe this much. It can't be worth the paper that they send it out to mail it on. But that's government, and that's how government works, right? 
Can I tell you, I didn't know when I got to that place how it was going to work, but they sent it to me in the mail. Now I understand how the accountability works, okay? Now, God wants you to understand how accountability works. He doesn't want you to be blindsided when you stand before him. That's because he loves us. He wants you to understand how accountability works. Now, how does it work? Well, the Bible says the first part of verse 17, watch it. Therefore, to him that knoweth. Therefore, to him that knoweth. Now, if we're going to be held accountable, we need to learn how to accept it. How do you accept accountability? Number one, you accept it by acknowledging accountability. As a child of God this morning, you've got to acknowledge how God says that you and I are going to be held accountable. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's what James is doing. James is saying, I'm going to give you the standard by which you're going to be held accountable. Here's the standard. Watch this. Not just by the things you did, but by the things you knew to do. Did you hear that? You say, well, I've tried to be a good person. I put money in the red kettle at Christmas at the Salvation Army. Hey, maybe you even stepped up your game. Maybe you're one of the people who rings the bell. Awesome. Thank God for that. I've done a lot of good things. Hey, maybe you're like me and you rescue turtles in the road. Don't run over turtles. I mean, look, I don't know how much of a man it makes you feel like when you run over something who can't move but an inch in every hour to get out of the road. It was an easy target, okay? Then I'll help. Matter of fact, if you ever help a turtle, be sure you take him the direction he was going. All right? Don't be a jerk. And take him back over there and make him, it took him four months just to get to the yellow line in the middle. And then you're going to be a smart aleck and go put him back over here in the other day. No, look, you just added years to his life. Take him over there where he was headed. Now, now folks, listen to me now. Listen to me. You may have done a lot of good things in your life, a lot of good deeds in your life. And yes, you're going to give an account for the things you did. But that's not all. Watch what it says, verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth. We're not just going to be judged by the things that we did. We're going to be judged by the things that we knew to do. That means, watch this, every time we come to church and we hear the word of God preach, you are learning what God wants you to do. And you say, well, I just didn't like the message today. I don't like the preacher. don't like the church, all that. Well, I'm just not going to listen to it. Oh, no, watch this. Joke's on us. Now we know. And the Bible says, to him that knoweth. You see, accountability is when God judges our response to his truth. That's what accountability is. When God presents truth to us, whether through reading his word, whether through Sunday school, maybe Bible study at home, maybe through preaching or a revival, you hear God's word. Watch this, now you know. When I was a kid, I used to watch G.I. Joe, the cartoon. Man, you talk about a manly cartoon. Maybe you want to act like a man, amen? Maybe that's why, that's why we're in trouble we're in. I don't know. At the very end, they gave this lesson. And at the end of the lesson, it says, now you know. And knowing is half the battle. Can I tell you, knowing is all of accountability. Once we know what God wants, God says you're accountable to that. And every time we come to the house of God or open the word of God, now we are accountable because we know. Let me show you another picture. I plan on showing you a lot of pictures today, but a while back we were coming back from a ball game in Alabama, and we came to this place in the road. The little town was called Ruffin. Now, it was, it was definitely named correct because it was a rough little town that we went through. And we got to this stop sign, and I told my wife, reckon what they want us to do. They had a red light 
a stop sign, a do not enter, a, another stop sign, and then another stop sign that is there. I mean, I guess because it's a small town, didn't have anything else to spend the money on, so they're like, hey, let's buy another sign. And so, boom, they just put another sign up there. Can I tell you, if I run through that stop sign and I get a ticket, I deserve it. Why? Because I knew what they wanted. All right? I knew what they wanted. The problem was I didn't do anything with the knowledge that they had. I mean, if anybody ever tries to convince a cop that, hey, I didn't know that was a stop sign, they need to run a drug test on them right then. It's impossible not to know it. it it's everywhere. It's doing everything but just flashing at you. Now, folks, that's the way we are with the Word of God. You're not going to be able to stand before God one day and say, I didn't know. Why? Because God has made his will and his word known to us. And the Bible says accountability begins with acknowledging accountability. Acknowledging what? What we know. Therefore, to him that knoweth. I'll give you an interesting word study. The word acknowledge is built out of two words, acno and knowledge. You put acno and knowledge together, you get acknowledge. The word acno means this, to confess. To confess. Knowledge means knowledge. Acknowledging is when you finally admit that you knew. You know, they get up there. On, I watch sometimes C-SPAN. I'll watch some of the, uh, um, when they're, they're nominating someone and they're trying to vet someone for a position up there in Washington. And I love it when they ask them questions. And boy, they can do the finest mental gymnastics around not answering a question. Uh, did you say this? I mean, they have the tweet blown up on a sign as big as our theme over there, their own tweet, and they're reading it verbatim. They says, you're taking that out of context. Like, no, I'm just reading what is there. They're trying not to be held accountable. They don't want to confess to the knowledge that they have. Now, folks, listen to me. You might be able to get out of it in this life. You might be able to get out of a speeding ticket. But standing before Almighty God, we're not going to get out of it. We're going to be held accountable for all the things we knew. And this morning, if we're going to accept that, it begins with acknowledging that. Let me give you an example in Daniel chapter 5. I'll read it for you to save you the time. Daniel chapter 5 is the very famous and fabled, if you will, story of the handwriting on the wall. Daniel chapter 5. So here's Belteshazzar, he's having this big party, thumbing his nose at God, blasphemous. And all of a sudden the hand begins writing on the wall, he gets a little bit scared. Daniel comes in to interpret the writing on the wall. Daniel begins giving him a history. He says, Belteshazzar, you remember Nebuchadnezzar, right? Remember how God set him up and God blessed him and then he got all puffed up and God brought him low. God sent him out there into the fields to eat like a cow. God brought him down. God humbled him. Why? Because he got too big for his britches. Listen to what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 5, verse 22. And this thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, here it comes, though thou knewest all of this. He says, Belshazzar, you knew it. He says, Belshazzar, there's no excuse for you. You can't. Here's what he did. He went and got all of the vessels from the temple and decided to have a party and use as serving dishes the honorable, sacred vessels from the temple in his party. Just blasphemy before God. Daniel says, you knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And then here's what he says in verse 27. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Belshazzar couldn't say, I didn't know. And he says, you knew. And the weight of his judgment included the knowledge that he had. 
Folks, can I tell you? You say, well, I, look, I don't do everything I'm supposed to do, but most of the things I do are good things. That's great. But you're not just going to be held accountable for what you did. You're going to be held accountable for what you knew to do. What does it say? Therefore, to him that knoweth. In America today, we are steadily rewriting the rules to avoid accountability. Steadily. We're diverting a responsibility. Why? Because we don't want to be held accountable. Uh, we're even getting to the place to where uh, you can't say anything against anybody because that's intolerant. Now, folks, I understand what tolerance is, but in the end, what matters is what's tolerant to God and what God's tolerance toward. That's what we're going to be held accountable for. And when it comes down to it as a child of God, if I knew it, he's going to hold me accountable for it. Think about it this way. There's a speeder speeding down the road going 100 miles an hour. Policeman pulls him over. Policeman says, sir, why are you speeding? He says, well, I'm trying to get away from the scene of the crime. The cop thinks to himself, well, that was easy. He says, why are you running from the scene of a crime? He says, well, the scene of the crime is where I stole this car. Cop's thinking, easiest bust ever. He says, sir, step out of the car. He handcuffs him and says, can I search your car? He says, everywhere but the glove box. He says, why not the glove box? He says, because that's where the gun is that I used to take this car. The cop's thinking, this is the dumbest criminal in history. He says, oh, and by the way, don't look in the trunk either. He says, why? He says, because Hank's in there. He said, who's Hank? He said, he's my neighbor that I stole the car from. He's tied up in the trunk. The cop calls his supervisor, thinking he's not going to believe this. Supervisor shows up. Supervisor says, look, here's what happened. Here's what he said and all this. And so he, supervisor comes over and he looks at the man driving the car and he says, sir, could I have your ID? He gives him his ID. He says, could I have the registration for this car? He pulls out the registration for the car and his name is on it. He opens the glove compartment. There's no gun there. He opens the trunk and there's no person in there. The supervisor comes over and tells the man, well, my cop told me that you stole this car. You're doing 100 miles an hour. There's a gun in the glove compartment. There's a guy tied up in the trunk. And the guy looks at the cop and he says, I bet you he told you I was speeding too. <laughs> and he got out of it. You may be the smoothest talker in the world, but you're not smooth enough to outsmart God. Watch this. And boy, this scares me to death. God knows what I know. God knows what I know. God knows what you know. And the Bible says, watch, you ought to go ahead and acknowledge that accountability, therefore to him that knoweth. I'll give you this and I'll move on to the second thing. Matthew chapter 25, we have the parable of talents. Parable of talents, we have the man who received the one talent. If you don't get anything else out of, uh, out of point one, I need you to get this, okay? He had the one talent. And when his master came back, he says, what did you do with the one talent that I gave you? Watch, the master knew what he had. I know you had one because I gave it to you. He says, watch, I was afraid. And I went and buried it in the earth. He says, because I knew that you were the kind of guy that reaped where you haven't sown. And I was afraid, and so I went and buried it. And what did the master say? Master says, he was foolish to cast him into outer darkness. He held him accountable. Watch. Because of what he knew that he had. God knows what you and I have this morning. Now hear, hear this, if you will. Accountability is a matter of what we know and what God has shown us. 
But sometimes in the society that we're living in, here's what happens. We excuse ourselves from being accountable because of how accountability makes us feel. I see people on a daily basis, and I'm tempted to be that way myself, to excuse what I know I'm supposed to do because of how it makes me feel. I have never seen a society so in touch with our feelings. We are feely people. We get up in our feels so easy. And I'm not just talking about girls. Men do. Man, I mean, we just get up in our feels and that makes me feel uncomfortable and that doesn't make me feel good. Please understand me. I want you to feel good while you're here today. In just a few minutes, we're going to go outside and we're going to have food trucks. Food trucks make you feel good. Just the smell makes you feel good. Can I tell you something? The unprofitable servant in Matthew chapter 25, hear me out, didn't act on what he knew because he was afraid. Fear is an emotion. Fear is a feeling. Be careful omitting what you know to do because of how it makes you feel. Because God gives us an example of Matthew 25 that our feelings should not be the judgment. Our obedience should be the judgment of what we do and what we don't do in this life. Number one, how do we accept accountability? Number one, understand acknowledging accountability. Therefore, to him that knoweth. But watch this, it goes on. Therefore, to him that knoweth. What's the next two words? To do. Therefore, him that knoweth to do. So here's what's interesting. The Lord is showing us that just acknowledging what you know is not enough. Saying, okay, God, I acknowledge that I know to do better. How many times do we use that phrase on a daily basis? I knew better. I knew better. I do it all the time. That usually means I did something wrong. All right? I knew better. But wait a minute. God says not only are you going to be held accountable for what you know, Notice number two, we see the actions of accountability. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do. One thing you're going to find repeated as a theme in James chapter 4, I mean, or in the book of James, is you're going to see faith put into action. Okay? Uh, matter of fact, turn with me real quick back to your left. I'm going to hurry, okay? James chapter 1, watch this. James chapter 1, look down to verse number 22, watch. But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Here's what he's saying. Don't lie to yourself. I lie to myself all the time. I do. Why? It's usually because it's something I want to do anyway. You, some of you folks are looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Look, your flesh is just as wicked as mine is. Quit acting like it's not. All right? Well, my mother-in-law and father-in-law came in for the uh, piano recital and Brought us some little Easter candies. Hadn't seen them for Easter. And in there was a double pack of the Reese's eggs. The peanut butter eggs. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. All right. They're good. I ate one and I thought, man, that was so good. And now I have one of those A&W root beers sitting there. And I thought, there's no sugar in that root beer. I could probably eat both of them because there's no sugar in the root beer. I was like, good enough for me. I ate both of them and the root beer. I had another root beer later. Why? I just deceived myself. Yeah, that's all right because you can eat two of them because the root beer has no sugar in it at all. It's easy to deceive ourselves, isn't it? Now watch what the Bible says. The Bible says when you think your faith is just something you understand but something you don't undertake, you fooled yourself. Faith is not just something that you understand in your mind. Sooner or later, your faith needs to take shape. 
Sooner or later, your faith needs to show up in your life. What did he say? He goes on in chapter 1, verse 22 to say, doers of the word. Go on to chapter 2, verse 17. Watch what he says. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Being alone. You see, there's actions that we're going to be accountable to. Not just what we know, but the things that we're to do. Now hear me out. There's a man. He died, I think, back in 2008. But he held the Guinness Book of World Records. The record for being the motionless man. He was a man that would go out and stand in front of grocery stores for promotions and big days and grand openings. And his name was Bill uh, Fuqua was his name. And he would stand there motionless. And he held the world record for standing motionless for over 24 hours. I'm thinking... There's no way that record's going to be even touched anymore because we can't be still in our society. He stood there for 24 hours. People would come up to them and they had, they had this thing going on where if you could make him smile, laugh, or move, they'd give you a $100 bill. He did not budge. He is known as the motionless man. Nothing could move him. I'm afraid today that the church maybe has broken his record. I think the church has become the motionless body. That our faith is merely something we understand. We love getting in and searching out the deep truths of the word of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. You get in there, you study, hide the word in your heart that you might not sin against God. But sooner or later, all that we know and all that we understand, the Bible says, you're going to be held accountable for what you did with it. So how do you know? We'll go back to chapter 4. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I'm afraid today we're so accustomed to being stagnant, and it's become part of who we are. I mean, we joke about it, right? I do. What a shame. What is our theme song? I shall not be, I shall not be moved. That's our Baptist anthem. We don't move. The church has lost its mobility. We're not moving anymore. See, what do you mean by that? Think about this today. When was the last time you made a move in the mission of God for your life? When was the last time you made a move? You say, well, you mean move and leave? I'm talking about move to take the gospel to somebody else. The Bible says, go ye therefore into all the world. Going is movement, right? Going is doing. There's no way to be who God's called us to be without sooner or later moving into action what we say we believe in our heart. I'm afraid we have isolated what we believe to just something of the mind and something of the heart. Can I ask you this? When was the last time you took action with your attitude? I think we ought to have movement in our mission, but I think you ought to have some action with your attitude. So what do you mean by that? You know the Bible says that when we have ought against a brother, and something's wrong between me and you, and something's wrong between you and me, or something's wrong between you and them, or something's wrong between them and you. The Bible says, go thy way. Go to them. Go to them. We, we don't sit back and we sit, we soak and we sour in the house of God, quenching the spirit. Why? Because we're not going to move. I'm waiting on them. It didn't say wait on them to get right with you. It says go thy way. You go to them. Why? Because there's actions involved in the Christian life. There's no telling what God could do in churches all over America. If God's people decided we're going to take some action with our attitudes to make sure we're right with God and we're right with each other, revival would break out. But we've gotten so, so accustomed to sit soaking and souring in our spirituality that I'm afraid the Spirit of God is quenched. And it's been quenched for far too long. Notice he says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do. Can I ask you, what are you doing with what you believe? What are you doing with what you believe? 
Matter of fact, I really believe what you do more than what you tell me you believe. That's what I really believe, and that's what you people really believe. Don't tell your coworkers what you believe. Don't tell them what you know. Hey, show them what you know. Show them what you know. Sooner or later, the Bible says you've got to understand you're going to be held accountable for not only what you knew, but what you did with what you knew. I'll give you an example. Matthew chapter 12 shows you how serious God is about this in verse 36. We think to ourselves, watch, we have reconstructed God in our own desires and our selfish pleasure. So what do you mean by that? Here's what we say. I don't think God's going to be that nitpicky. Can I tell you, if you want to get to know God, you better go to his word and not your imagination. You better get in there and figure out what he said about himself because he knows himself better than anybody. And he put in his book what he believes and what he's going to hold us accountable for. Listen to Matthew chapter 12, what he said in verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Listen to this. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. By thy words. What is that? That's by your actions. Your actions come with accountability. You know, there have been times that my mouth has uttered words. I'm not talking about bad words. But my mouth has uttered idle, uttered idle words that I'm going to give an account to God for. Idle words. Not edifying words. Not building up words, but tearing down words. Folks, the actions of our accountability matter to God. I'll give you an example. Say you go to Walmart today after the food trucks and you go get you some Tums. Because, man, food trucks, they're going to get heartburn, right? You go to get some Tums and you get there to the checkout and it says $4.99 or maybe you got the uh, Walmart brand, it's $2.99. You get up there and it's $2.99 and you say to yourself, you know what, to the lady at the counter, look, I know it says $2.99, but you know what, all I have is a dollar, that'll, that'll do. Do you know what you're about to learn when you walk out the door with those Tums? You're about to learn accountability. I hope they wouldn't chase you down and tackle you and tase you, but it'd be fun to watch. Just being honest with you. You say, well, how legalistic of them. No, they just put the price on it. And that's the price. You say, well, I just believe that I should only pay a dollar for Tums, okay? I mean, heartburn. I mean, that's, surely that's in the Constitution that, you know what, we're entitled to Tums because we get heartburn as Americans. No, they said, there's the price. You're going to be held accountable for that price. Pay up for that price. Now, folks, can I tell you, if Walmart can do it, God can all right, if God can set a standard and God can set his word and it's steadfast and sure, it's infallible and inerrant, listen to me, then God's going to hold us accountable to that. And whether or not we say, you know what, I don't think God's going to be that nitpicky. If he's going to be that nitpicky over idle words, you better believe how we live our life does matter to him. It matters to God. Now, folks, you say, well, you're just being mean. I'm never coming back to this church. Look, <clears throat> could you just hear a little bit of the love in this? I'm trying to get you ready before you get there. Heaven's a little bit late to say, I didn't know that's how it worked. Too late. I didn't know you were going to hold me accountable for all of that. And then watch, some of you are going to get there, and some of you are going to say, I'm so thankful that preacher preached on accountability because now I had a chance to get myself ready to stand before God. You see, folks, the truth will set you free this morning, but you've got to receive it. That's why we have to learn how to accept accountability. Now, I want you to think about temptation for a moment before we get to the third point. Temptation, we feel, start feeling the weight of accountability in our life. 
to where you try to do what God's told you to do and you're trying to live by what God said and there's a temptation when you start feeling that weight to do this. I don't know if I can do it. And you start looking around at everybody else. Can I tell you something this morning? They are not going to give an account for you. You will. You give an account for you. There are times when through the leadership of the Holy Spirit or the leadership of his word, as a pastor, I make a decision to go in a direction. Watch this. And it's not always popular. I promise you, I know what to do to be popular. I also know what to do to be unpopular because I, I oftentimes am not popular. But I want you to hear me out. When I know what God says do, and I look around and, and man, it's not the best decision or the most favorite decision in the world, the temptation, watch, is to choose to be accountable to man rather than God. You know what? I'm just going to give in to what, what makes people like me because I like being liked. And all I remember, there's coming a day that I'm going to stand before Almighty God, Hebrews 13, 17, read it, to give an account for their souls. It makes me weak at the knees. Knowing that if I don't tell you the truth, you say, well, we don't always like the truth. I get it. And man, I don't always like the truth either. But I got to stand before God. God's going to say, what did you do with what I told you you were supposed to do? So there's where the actions of our accountability come in. Abraham Lincoln dealt with a lot of controversy in his tenure as president. Can you imagine the civil war raging in our country? Uh, the agony that he went through. And Abraham Lincoln in his journal, these words were found. I desire to so conduct the affairs of this administration. If at the end when I come to lay down the reins of power, I have lost every other friend on earth, I shall at least have one friend left, and that friend shall be the one inside my heart. He says, although you make decisions as a president that are unpopular, I know that I'm going to give an account to God and he says, if I lose everything and I lose everybody, he says, I'm at least going to, be, to do that which is pleasing to God. Folks, understand this. You're going to give an account for you. Oh, it's serious. By the way, that's what the Bible tells us. Be careful about beholding the moat in our brother's eye when we have a beam in our eye. Hey, you're not going to give an account for the moat in my eye. You're going to give an account for the beam in yours and vice versa. Hey, it's easy to take our eyes off of what God wants us to do and start figuring out what somebody else should be doing when at the end of the day, they will give an account for them, I will give an account for me, and I've got to make sure I'm right with God no matter what's going on around me. The actions of our accountability are important to God. Finally, let's end on this note. Therefore, to him that knoweth, there's the acknowledging of accountability. To do, there's the actions of accountability. The Bible says, good, and doeth it not... To him it is sin. Now at the very end of this verse, we're going to conclude with this today. We see the avoiding of accountability. Yes, you can avoid accountability for a little while. What does it say? And do with it not. You say, okay, I know there's accountability, but I'm still just not going to do it. You can avoid accountability. I saw on the WDEM yesterday, they were searching for someone that was running from the cops. And uh, do you know why he's running from the cops? He wants to avoid accountability. Who wants to go to jail? I don't. So he's running. But you can't run forever. Sooner or later, you're going to be held accountable. When I was a kid, <clears throat> mom and dad would teach us manners at the table. And uh, we used to always, I don't, you know, I don't know if they were expecting us to have dinner with the president, but they would say things like that. Hey, you ever go have dinner with the president, you need to know how to act at the table. So I just always expected one day the president was going to walk in our door. 
You know, why he would come to Carson, Mississippi, I don't know, but I just was expecting that, you know. And so we would eat our dinner, eat our food, don't put our elbows on the table, you know. And at the end of the meal, we were always taught to say this, may I be excused. Anybody else taught that? Do they even do that anymore? All right, maybe my family's just weird. We used to do that, though. May I be excused. Well, there were times I would want to be excused because there was something on the plate I didn't want to eat. Me and Brother Buddy were talking about chitlins the other day, you know, and he's going to try to talk. He says chitlins are better than the ones I've had, so maybe one day he's going to talk me into it. We're going to have some chitlins together. Whew. You put chitlins on my plate right now, I'm going to ask you, may I be excused? We haven't eaten anything. That's why I want to be excused. I don't want to eat anything. Brother Buddy, I trust him. We're going to go out one day. We're going to have some. There were times I would ask mom, may I be excused? You say, after you eat the green beans. Oh, I didn't know that was part of it. I just thought that's what you're supposed to say. You know, that's the magic words to get up from the table. May I, look, I ate the chicken nuggets and I ate the fries. All right, may I be excused? No, you have to eat the green beans. Oh, I thought that was my get out of vegetables card, you know. Sometimes I believe we're that way in the will of God for our life. We read something in here, we hear something we don't like, and we say, may I be excused? You can get up from the table, but I promise you, there's going to come a day when you're going to see it again. And that day it's going to be too late to think about whether or not you should have lived in a different way so that you stand before God accountable in the way that's pleasing to him. Romans 14, 12, I'll quote it again before we close. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Folks, accountability is something we cannot outrun or avoid. The Bible says every one of us will give an account of himself to God. We're going to stand in front of God. You know what you ought to do this morning? You ought to start with the acknowledging of accountability. Okay, God, I know more than I'm doing. And God, you're going to hold me accountable because you know. And here's the question. Well, what if it's something we don't know? You say, well, that's why I don't read my Bible. Well, see, here's the catch to that too. Yeah, there's a catch. The Bible says God's already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's already given you all the, the knowledge you need. It's right here. Now, whether you read it or not, that's up to you. But God says, I've already given you everything I'm going to hold you accountable for. And when you stand up there and say, well, I never got around to reading it. Sorry. He says, I gave it to you. We need to get in this book and start acknowledging what we're going to be held accountable to. And then we take it to the second step, the actions of our accountability. Can I ask you something? You may know a lot of Bible here this morning, and you can debate Bible, and you know apologetics and all that, and that's great. Can I ask you this? What are you doing with what you know? I don't think debates are why God gave you all the knowledge that he gave you. I think he wants you to take that knowledge and go win somebody. Hey, when was the last time you knocked on the door and took some of that knowledge and shared it with somebody on how to be saved? That's why God gives us knowledge. He says, you're going to be held accountable. Your actions. He says, because what? Therefore, to him that knoweth to do, finally, you can avoid it if you want, but you understand, you're only avoiding it temporarily. You can avoid it for this life. I know people that are living it up, and man, it looks like they're having a ball, but what they don't realize is there's an accountability coming. There's an accountability coming. And they're going to stand before an almighty God and have no recourse of making changes at that point. Daniel Webster, the great statesman of our country, said this, my greatest thought is my accountability to God. My greatest thought is my accountability to God. This morning, could I just give you a burden? You're like, well, church is where we come to get rid of our burdens. Could I give you one this morning? 
you and I are going to be held accountable for what we knew, for what we did, and even for what we avoided for the time that we had here. Can I ask you this this morning in closing? If we're all going to stand before God and give an account, does the thought this morning motivate you to put your faith into action? It's time that we take a little bit of what we've known and start moving it around, putting it to work. Why? Jesus is coming real soon. That accounting day is getting closer and closer. You know, we fear tax day. But you know, all they can do is take your property. But boy, you can stand before an almighty God, have never trusted Christ as your Savior, and lose your ever eternal soul. Lose it all. If you were to stand before God this morning, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? If you were to stand, you were to stand before God this morning and you want to go there and you want to live there, if he were to ask you why, why should you get in, what would you say? There's only one right answer, and it's the blood of Jesus. It's not your good works, it's not your baptism, it's not your church attendance. The accountability will fall upon you to spend eternity in the devil's hell if you do not receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus purchased with his blood for you and I that we could be saved. But boy, he bore our sins and our sorrows. He carried that debt. He was accountable for us. And I can stand before God as his son because I trusted Christ. Are you saved today? Number two, Christian, are you living like you're going to give an account? If not, why don't we make some changes today? Let's start accepting that accountability. Let's stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Our pianists are going to come, and we're going to close today. Can I ask you this? Bible says, watch this, for all have sinned. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus laid down his life so that you could be saved. And for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the knowledge this morning. You've got it. What are you going to do with it? Why don't you trust Christ today? Receive him as Savior. If you're a Christian here today, the word of God is our cheat code. It is the treasure map of the accountability to God. What are you doing with all that God's given us that we're going to be held accountable for? Father, I thank you today that you give us advance warning. That, Lord, standing before you and giving account is not something that should catch us by surprise. Lord, I'm thankful that I'm saved, but, Lord, help me to realize, Lord, I have a knowledge of you and your will and your word. I'm going to give an account for that. Lord, help every, each and every one of us today to put our faith into action. If we're not right with you, help us get right today. Lord, if we're not right with each other, help us get right today. Father, we're going to be held accountable for quenching the Spirit. We're going to be held accountable, Lord, for not being obedient to what you've told us to do, Father, because we knew what to do. Lord, help us, Lord, just to be about your will today. Lord, help us begin reading our hearts, our lives, and our homes for that time when we'll see you face to face. Bless this invitation, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heads are bowed and eyes closed for a few minutes. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The pianists are going to play. When was the last time you let the Word of God move you to an altar? When was the last time you said, I'm going to humble myself before God? I know what to do. I have a knowledge of God, a knowledge of His will. What are you doing with it? Therefore, to him that knoweth, and it doesn't stop there. It says to do. What is God saying you're to do today? 
This day will come back. This Sunday, at the end of April 2023, we will give an account for this day. For the message you heard. For the word that you heard. Give an account for that. Why? Therefore, to him that knoweth, you know. You know. So I think God is going to be a gracious and merciful God, and he's just going to overlook it. No. He's already told us what it's going to be like. The books will be open. What are the books? Well, those are the records of accountability. You say, well, it's hard. I know. But I promise you, it's easy compared to how hard it's going to be on that day. We've done nothing with what he gave us. Absolute sway, fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only. Always living, you know, as we close this morning, I have a teenage daughter that I, I probably talk about too much behind the pulpit, she'll probably need therapy for that one day. God gives her grace to be a preacher's kid. I was one. I know how it goes. And, you know, as much as I hate the thought of my daughter not being with me all the time, I know there will come a day in, in a few dozen years to where she leaves our home as a home of her own. And all I can do right now is get her ready. And, you know, as I try to get her ready for the world she's going to live in, a huge part of that is accountability. When you get outside of this house... It's you and God. You and God. As hard as that is sometimes, I want her to be ready. I want her to be ready. You're not going to be ready if you don't learn how to be accountable. Let's be accountable to, faith, be, to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. Why? I'm going to be held accountable. Every time I could have been in this house and chose not to be in God's house, or wherever it is that God wants you to be and you're not there, you're going to be held accountable for that. God's keeping a record of that. Every time I skipped out on praying because I wanted more sleep. Every time I skipped out on witnessing because I didn't want to get embarrassed, they're held an account. The record's being written. I'm going to give an account. Let's acknowledge it. Let's act upon it. Let's not avoid the will of God for our lives. So when we stand before God, we hear, well done. I want to give you some backwards English before we close. Do you know why he's going to say well done? Because you well did. He's not going to say well done if you didn't. You get it? Some of you are like, I don't get that. Think on it, all right? While we're out there, to hear well done, you got to do something with your faith. And I pray today you took some steps to do just that. I hope you will all stay. The food truck's going to be out there. Tables and chairs out there. I'd love to get to visit with some of our visitors today. And uh, right after that, what, 145? 145, 2 o'clock? This thing's how long they eat. Yeah, I'm going to rush them in your eating like you rush me in my preaching. All right? I'm going to come stand beside you while you're eating and do this. Yeah, I see you. It's all right. It's all right. I know we went a little long today. And then we're going to have singing, wonderful singing today. Looking forward to that. Uh, and then after that, we'll have a brief message and let you go home. No service at 5. So Zach, dismiss us, please.
Grace greater than our sin. Sing it with me now. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. 